Chapter Nine of Coffee and Repartee. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Coffee and Repartee by John Kendrick Bangs. Chapter Nine. I've just been reading a book, began the idiot. I thought you looked rather pale, said the schoolmaster. Yes, returned the idiot cheerfully. It made me feel pale. It was about the pleasures of country life, and when I contrasted rural blessedness, as it was there depicted with urban life as we live it, I felt as if my youth were being thrown away. I still feel as if I were wasting my sweetness on the desert air. "'Why don't you move?' queried the bibliomaniac suggestively. "'If I were purely selfish, I should do so at once. But I am, like my good friend Mr. Whitechoker, a slave to duty.' I deem it my duty to stay here to keep the schoolmaster fully informed in the various branches of knowledge which are day by day opened up, many of which seem to be so far beyond the reach of one of his conservative habits, to assist Mr. Whitechoker in his crusades against vice at this table and elsewhere, to give the bibliomaniac the benefit of my advice in regard to those precious little tomes he no longer buys, to make life worth the living for all of you, to say nothing of enabling Mrs. Smithers to keep up the extraordinarily high standard of this house by means of the hard-earned stipend I pay to her every Monday morning. "'Every Monday?' queried the schoolmaster. "'Every Monday,' returned the idiot. "'That is, of course, every Monday that I pay. The things one gets to eat in the country, the air one breathes, the utter freedom from restraint, the thousand and more things one enjoys. In the suburbs, that are not attainable here, it is these that make my heart yearn for the open.' "'Well, it's all rot,' said the schoolmaster impatiently. "'Country life is ideal only in books. "'Books do not tell of running for trains through blinding snowstorms. "'Writers do not expatiate on the delights of waking on cold winter nights "'and finding your piano and parlour furniture afloat because of bursted pipes "'with the plumber, like Sheridan at Winchester, twenty miles away. "'They are dumb on the subject of the ecstasy one feels when pushing a twenty-pound lawn-mower up and down a weed-patch at the end of a wearisome, hot summer's day. "'They are silent—' "'Don't get excited, Mr. Pedagog, please,' interrupted the idiot. "'I am not contemplating leaving you and Mrs. Smithers. "'But I do pine for a little garden of my own, where I could raise an occasional can of tomatoes.' I dream sometimes of getting milk fresh from the pump, instead of twenty-four hours after it has been drawn, as we do here. In my musings it seems to me to be almost idyllic, to have known a spring chicken in his infancy, to have watched a hind-quarter of lamb gamboling about its native heath before its muscles became adamant, and before chopped-up celery-tops steeped in vinegar were poured upon it in the hope of hypnotizing boarders into the belief that spring lamb and mint sauce lay before them. "'What care I how hard it is to rise every morning before six in winter to thaw out the boiler so long as the night coming finds me seated in the genial glow of the gas-log? What man is he that would complain of having to bail out his cellar every week, if, on the other hand, that cellar gains thereby a fertility that keeps its floor sheeny, soft, and green, an interior tennis-court from spring to spring?' causing the gladsome click of the lawn-mower to be heard within its walls all through the still watches of the winter day. I tell you, sir, it is the life to lead, that of our rural brother. I do not believe that in this whole vast city there is a cellar like that, an indoor garden-patch, as it were. No, 
returned the doctor, and it is a good thing there isn't. There is enough sickness in the world without bringing any of your rus ideas in herb. I've lived in the country, sir, and I assure you it is not what is written up to be. Country life is misery, melancholy, and malaria. You must have struck a profitable section, doctor, returned the idiot, taking possession of three steaming buckwheat cakes to dismay of Mr. Whitechoker, who was about to reach out for them himself. And I should have supposed that your good business sense would have restrained you from leaving. Then the countryman is poor, always poor, continued the doctor, ignoring the idiot's sarcastic comments. Ah, that accounts for it, observed the idiot. I see why you did not stay, for what shall it profit a man to save a patient if practice, like virtue, is to be its own reward? Your suggestion, sir, retorted the doctor, betrays an unhealthy frame of mind. That's all right, doctor, returned the idiot, but please do not diagnose the case any further. I can't afford an expert opinion as to my mental condition, but to return to our subject, you two gentlemen appear to have an unhappy experience in country life quite different from those of a friend of mine who owns a farm. He doesn't have to run for trains. He is independent of plumbers, because the only pipes in his house are for smoking purposes. The farm produces corn enough to keep his family supplied all the year round, and to sell a balance at a profit. Oats and wheat are harvested to an extent which keeps the cattle, and declares dividends besides. He never suffers from the cold or heat. He is never afraid of losing his house or barns by fire, because the whole fire department of the neighboring village is, to a man, in love with the housekeeper's daughter, and is always on hand in force. The chickens are the envy and pride of the country, and there are so many of them that they have to take turns in going to roost. The pigs are the most intelligent of their kind, and are so happy they never grunt. In fact, everything is lovely and cheap, the only thing that hangs high being the goose. Quite an ideal, no doubt, put in the schoolmaster scornfully. I suppose his is one of those model farms with steam pipes under the walks to melt the snow in winter. And, of course, there is a vein of coal growing right up in his furnace ready to be lit. Yes, observed the bibliomaniac, and no doubt the chickens lay eggs in every style, poached, fried, scrambled, and boiled. The weeds in the garden grow so fast. I suppose that they put themselves up by the roots, and if there is anything left undone at the end of the day, I presume tramps in dress suits and courtly manner spring out of the ground and finish up for him. I'll bet he's not on good terms with his neighbors if he has everything you speak of in such perfection. These farmers get frightfully jealous of each other, asserted the doctor, with a positiveness that seemed to be born of experience. He never quarreled with one of them in his life, returned the idiot. He doesn't know them well enough to quarrel with them. In fact, I doubt if he ever sees them at all. He's very exclusive. Of course, he is a born farmer to get everything the way he has it, suggested Mrs. Smithers. No, he isn't. He's a broker, said the idiot, and a very successful one. I see him on the street every day. Does he employ a man to run the farm? asked the clergyman. No, returned the idiot. He has too much sense and too few dollars to do any such foolish thing as that. It must be one of those self-winding stock farms, put in the schoolmaster scornfully, but I don't see how he can be a successful broker and make money off his farm at the same time. Your statements do not agree either. You said he never had to run for trains. Well, he never has, returned the idiot calmly. 
He never goes near his farm. He doesn't have to. It's leased to the husband of the housekeeper whose daughter has a crush on the fire department. He takes his pay in produce and gets more than if he took it in cash on the basis of the New York vegetable market. Then you have got us into an argument about country life that ends, began the schoolmaster indignantly. That ends where it leaves off, retorted the idiot, departing with a smile on his lips. He's an idiot from Idaho, asserted the bibliomaniac. Yes, but I'm afraid idiocy is a little contagious, observed the doctor with a grin and sidelong glance at the schoolmaster. End of chapter 9